I want to share something before I get into the substance of my message. I want to share something that's kind of heavy on my heart. We, this last week, buried one of our youth. His name was Ben Doran. I'm sure a lot of you saw, about, saw this in the, on the TV or read about it in the newspaper. Uh, ben was a great kid. Everyone who uh, talks about him talks about the incredible smile he, he had and the life he just brought to people. He was walking home with some buddies and a car pulled up alongside of them and some guys jumped out and started chasing them. And the others were able to get free, but Ben has asthma and he had an asthma attack, so they caught him and they beat him to death. One of our youth was beat to death last week. And we had a funeral here for him this last uh, Wednesday. His mother shared something with me as we were talking about funeral arrangements. She shared something with me and and wanted me to share it with the church as a whole. And it was just basically this. She said that if anyone needs any proof that we need to get kids off the street and bring them into a safe and Christian environment, this tragedy is uh, is it. And she wasn't saying that, and she she said, you got to build that youth center. And she wasn't saying or suggesting that having a youth center would prevent, you know, violence. You, you could ensure against things like this happening, tragedies like this happening. But what she was getting at is that there is just in our youth culture right now, an inc- it, it's a culture of violence. It's a culture of violence. We've always said that, that the youth are the main mission field for the church because the majority of people who come to the Lord come before the age of 18. And we've always said that our young people are our most uh, precious missionaries because most people who come to the Lord before the age of 18 come because they, build a re- they, they enter into a relationship with somebody uh, who knows the Lord. And what I want to now say is that not only are young people our main missionary field and young people our main missionaries, but our young people are, are among the most at-risk portion of our population. It's not just physically at risk, but they're at risk because they're at an age where they're open to a lot of things, and uh, there's a lot of forces that are bearing on them to make decisions that will impact the rest of their life and perhaps even their eternity. Uh, what, what kind of person they're going to be, what kind of road they're going to go down, what are they going to become, those are the kinds of things that are being decided at this stage of their life, which is why the enemy puts a premium bounty on their head. This is a culture of violence that, that's out there. I, I read this in the paper this morning, or yesterday morning. It's from the St. Paul Pioneer Press. It says this, Isaac Bauer knows the rules of being a 15-year-old on Rice Street. And they sent it on Rice Street because that's where Ben was murdered, but it applies uh, throughout the, they say it applies throughout uh, a lot of communities in St. Paul and Minneapolis. Here's the rules. Don't make eye contact with anyone unless they're friends. Ride your bicycle at a decent clip if you venture out alone. And be prepared to pay for laughing with your friends. The reason is because someone might think you're laughing at them and then want to get in a fight with you. Isaac traverses a neighborhood. This 15-year-old traverses a neighborhood of turf wars, score-setting, and youthful posturing that could play out in almost any community. But in the last two weeks, they've been spotlighted in the North End, where 15-year-old Ben Doran was brutally attacked and killed. Before police tracked down and arrested three suspects this week, they had to sift through a dozen or more feuds in the last two weeks now, 
a dozen or more feuds among the youth in the neighborhood and those attending surrounding schools. Our kids are at risk. You know, when we did this funeral, the place was packed out. It was just amazing, uh, the impact that Ben had on people's lives. Uh, the auditorium was at least three-fourths full, uh, roughly 1,300, 1,400 people. And over half of them were young kids. Probably eight or 900 of them were young kids, teenagers. And I was excited for the opportunity that I had to just deliver a simple message uh, about God's love revealed in Christ and our need to enter into a relationship with Christ. And, and Peggy Riley, our, our uh, prayer pastor, delivered a strong word to them. And it was great to have the opportunity to have some little effect, at least, on, on eight or 900 kids. And you look out there, and, and uh, it broke my heart. I'm sure some of these kids were believers and have a relationship with the Lord, but the majority do not. And there's a, a, a lostness in their face. They're hungry. They're empty. They don't know what life's about. They're trying to belong. They're trying to fit in. They're trying to get a morsel of worth in their life. They don't know what's going on. And it made me wonder, why does it take a funeral to get 900 kids to come to church? 900 kids to come to a place where they can have some Christian influence on them. And the primary reason is this. Because the church on the whole has sort of been this island off the coast, and we're saying, hey, come over here, we got the answers. You know, just swim over to where we're at, be like us, and, and, and uh, you know, we've got the answers to your life. Instead of building a bridge to the shoreline and entering into their world, their questions, their needs, their interests. And see, what, what we want to do with this youth center is basically create an environment where they want to come, where we can have an uh, environment where we can begin to rub off on them, where we make ourselves available to love them. That's all that this is about. Getting in a, in a, in a context where uh, um, uh, we have the opportunity to serve them, to love them, to meet them uh, where they're at. And so to do that, we want to get into their world, get into their interests. You like to dance? We got to dance. You like to play pool? We got pool tables. You like to play video games? We got video games. You want to shoot some hoops? We got hoops. You like to lift weights? We got a weight seat. You like to skateboard? We got a skateboarding thing here. And you can come and hang out here on Friday nights or come and hang out after school. And, and, and it's just a way of bringing them in an environment where, you know, faith has got to be caught before it's taught. You know that? It's got to rub off on them. This isn't some kind of gimmick to trick people into believing in Jesus. It's rather the primary focus is just to love them because the faith will come as it's called. We, we want to just love them, serve them, be there when they're in their time of need. We want to have trained counselors available so that when, when, when they got a drug problem, we want to say, without judgment, just out, of, just out of love, have people who are trained in this who say, you know what, can we walk with you on that problem? We, we can help you with that problem. You got a sexually transmitted disease, can we come around you? We're here to talk. You want someone to talk to? Many of these kids have no one, no one to talk to that's informed. All the authorities in their life they're afraid of. We want to just have a context where they can come in, have their fun, get together, and we're there just to serve them as, as the need arises. Got a problem at home? Can we help out with that problem? Got a problem with friends? You got a gang chasing you? Well, can we come around you? Can we love you? Can we serve you? You see, it's about love. It's just about providing a context where we get, we get the privilege of serving them and loving them and making a difference in their life. You got an unwanted pregnancy? Can we walk with you on that? We're here without judgment, without condemnation. We just want to, we just want to love you. We want to love you. We want to love your child. And we want to walk with you on this. You know, the easy thing is to, the easy thing is to get mad and you should not do this and, and pour energy into blocking a choice that the culture presently allows them to do. But see, if you're for life, the question is this, 
how do you cash out that for life in terms of the sacrifice you're willing to make? Who's there to walk with these kids when, when they're making this decision rather than just stand over them with a judgment? Do you know that almost half of all abortions occur between, before uh, girls each, reach the age of 20? Over 80% of them suffer some degree of psychological trauma from that decision. They live with regret, sometimes uh, serious uh, psychological ramifications of that that many of them are never told about when they make this decision. But you see, enter into the world of a 16-year-old. Uh, she's thinking about telling dad what's going to happen when I tell dad. She doesn't have any other options. Most of them make these decisions because there's no one there to say, you know what, there are some alternatives and we'll make it possible. We'll make it viable for you. We want to walk with you. We want to financially support you as you're going through this. You want someone to go and tell your parents with because you're afraid. We'll go with you on this. We'll get into the trenches with you on this. We'll get dirty with you on this. And if you want to place the child someplace, we'll help you with that. There is a future for you. Your life doesn't have to come to an end now. And the baby's life doesn't have to come to an end now. And if you ask me if there's one woman who, who, who lived her life without regret and one child that was born who otherwise wouldn't be born, the four and a half million dollars for a youth center would be more than worth it. You see, it's... And it's not about getting angry. And if she decides to have an abortion, we still love her. We're still there. We still walk with her. Without judgment, we just want to come around you in love. That, that, that's, I want us to get a vision. I want us to get a vision concretely, vividly, see it in your mind of, of the difference that we can make with this. Uh, it, it's, it's about what, how, what is it worth to us? You, you picture in your mind the, the, the young mother who now is living life without regret and the, the, the child is now living uh, rather than being aborted and ask the question, what is it worth to us? What is it worth? And multiply that, you know, 100,000 perhaps times in the next 30 years and ask, what is that worth? You take some kid who was going down a track of violence and, uh, you know, hanging out on the streets and they start hanging out at the connection. It's about a bridge that we're building here. Us to them. That's why we're calling this youth center the connection. And they hang out here on Friday nights for, for a year or two. Maybe they even get a little bit of trouble, but, but uh, you know, we have to put some parameters around him, but we still show that we love him, and he hangs out here, and he catches the faith. And now instead of retaliating and beating the life out of somebody, he learns to forgive that person. What's that worth? Multiply that a thousand times and ask, what is that worth? You take some kid... Take some kid who was going down a track where maybe they're getting involved in drugs and they're going to end up who knows where, but they begin to catch the faith. No one's there to sell them on it or shove, shove it down their throat, but it just wears off on them as they're rubbing shoulders. We create a pond where the Christians and non-Christians hang out together where it rubs off on them, turns his life around, maybe becomes a missionary over in Cambodia, uh, helping Wen Tramberg in the hospital that we're building. And uh, as a result of that, is instrumental in saving hundreds of, of, of lives and maybe hundreds of souls. Multiply that a number of times and, and what is that worth to us? Get a vision for what God can do through this. You know, there was a, there was a uh, uh, sign that someone put up in the area where, Den, where Ben was killed, and it was in the paper. It said, stop the violence, find a way to forgive. And see, and that's a good message. But who's going to show them a way to forgive? Who's there to walk with them, to earn the right to speak into their life, to meet them on their terms, not our terms? And that's what this is about. Find a way to forgive. There's another way of doing things. Now, some people have, I know are thinking, and I'm going to get to my sermon here in a second, but I, I want to share this. I know it's on some people's minds. 
uh, the, the total package here that we're talking about that we're going to be moving towards for the next three years, starting the first week in May, is $9 million. And, you know, for some of us, that's like, well, it might as well be $9 trillion. That's a lot of money. And, and we're a middle class, lower middle class church, and thank God we're getting an increasing number of, of people who are below lower middle class. We thank God for that. But, but it, we're not a wealthy congregation. This is a huge stretch for us. And so some are maybe thinking, have you bit off more than you can chew? I mean, this is, it's one thing to have a vision, but this is kind of an outrageous vision. Uh, you know, are you trying to tackle too much? And in this economy, thank God, it looks like the war is coming to an end, but, but the economy is still really sluggish. Are you sure that we're supposed to bite off all of this? And I want you to know the overseers have, have really prayed about that and struggled with that, but felt with, in no uncertain terms that God was saying, go for it. The whole thing, go for it. And I'm here to tell you that it is doable. Uh, with God, all things are possible, right? And, 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 uh, and it is doable because we serve a God of the impossible. But it's also doable if you just chunk it down some. Uh, think about this. I was, I was uh, out to dinner this last week with, 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 with a few couples. We were talking about this, this project, whatever, and one of them was a lawyer, or, or a, an accountant. And I love accountants. Uh, they, they just like always, you know, uh, the wheels are turning. And she said this. I was at your uh, banquet, your appreciation banquet the other night. We had 800 people there. She goes, it all of a sudden occurred to me that if all 800 gave $5,000 over the next three years, you'd have $4 million. Not $5,000 a year, but $5,000 spread over three years. If they just pledged that to, to come up with that in the next three years, you'd have $4 million. I, you know, I'm not a great mathematician, but I started doing some figuring out. I was like, well, then if you had 1,600, hmm, that'd be $8 million. If you added another 200, you'd have your $9 million. If 1,800 people, now we have a church of, roughly we have about 5,000 people who attend here every weekend, 5,000 adults who attend here every weekend. So far as we can tell, there's about another 3,000 that attend here occasionally um, who would consider this their church. If 1,800 of them gave $5,000 over the next three years, you'd have your $9 million. That's $32 a week. $32 a week for three years. Uh, I went to the movies with my wife and son the other night. We spent $41. Why? Popcorn. I mean, they, they gouge you with popcorn. <laughs> and you can't see a movie without popcorn. And then, of course, you got the Coke and, well, some you know, those little chocolate things would be nice, too. Before, uh, 41 bucks. You get, what, what, yeah, there's hardly any restaurant you can go to where you don't put out 30 bucks for a meal. Uh, you know, that's, my point is this. I'm not saying that everyone should give $5,000. Though if everyone in this auditorium did that, we would have, we would have $9 million. There's probably 2,000 people here right now in this auditorium. We'd have more than $9 million. We'd have figured out. It'd be almost $10 million. Let's take an offering right now. No. <laughs> but I'm not saying that. That's not a bit... What I am saying, I'm just trying to show that it is doable. 5,000 for some people is impossible. I got that. 5,000 for other people is, is just nothing. I know they should be thinking more in terms of 50,000 or 100,000 or 500,000 or whatever. Um, it's not about equal gifts. It's about equal sacrifice. If everyone does their part, this is doable. And that leads to the first of four principles I want to uh, lay out about kingdom giving going to roughly break down the scriptures that we read earlier into four principles. And I got 25 minutes to do it. And Mark said, go. Principle number one, the gift is in the sacrifice, not the amount. What God's looking for is not the amount, it's what it costs you to give that amount. The sacrifice is what moves the kingdom, 
not the amount. In a natural view, it seems like the amount moves the kingdom. But the kingdom of God doesn't operate by natural principles. It uses them for sure, but it operates by spiritual principles. What God looks at is the sacrifice. Paul says, if the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has or in proportion to what one has. Not in in proportion to what one doesn't have. It's not a one-size-fits-all kind of a deal. Think about it this way. Everything about the kingdom of God is about love. It's about about doing things out of of a motive for love for the purpose of, of expanding love. And what is love? We've talked about this all last year. Looking at Jesus Christ, love is ascribing worth to another at cost to oneself. You always know what something is worth to you, how much you love it by what you're willing to pay for it. Someone just talked to me recently about a car that they bought. It's about $30,000, and they thought they got a good deal, and they love that car. How much do they love that car? $30,000 worth. For me, cars are not my gig. I, I would never, I, 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 you know, it's just, I, I would give $100 for the car, or maybe, maybe $1,000. But, but see, it, it just doesn't have that worth. But it does to him. You know what something's worth to you by what you're willing to sacrifice for it. We know what our worth is to God by how much he was willing to sacrifice for us. And we see something about the depth of God's love by the, the, the 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 fact that he was willing to pay an unsurpassable price in having Jesus Christ die for us. And we have unsurpassable worth to him because of that. You know the depth of love, the quality of love by the sacrifice that one is willing to make uh, for the purpose of love. The kingdom of God is spread by love, not money. God uses the money that comes out of a sacrifice of love, but what is the fuel, the explosive behind the whole thing is the sacrifice behind it. God has all the resources in the world. He's not, he doesn't have a shortage of money. Think about that. But what he has a shortage of are kingdom hearts that will align with his kingdom heart and live out Christ-like sacrifice. And to the extent that he gets that, his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Probably the passage that reveals this most clearly is found in Luke chapter 21 where Jesus is visiting a synagogue with his disciples and it comes to be offering time. And back in those days, the way they took up offerings is they had a great big treasury up front and people would walk up there and put their gift in. And I don't doubt that there was a little bit of showmanship involved in that whole thing. It was a public thing. Everyone knew what everyone else gave. And so it says, Jesus looked up and saw rich people putting their gifts into the treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. Uh, That was the smallest unit of currency uh, of the day. I'm told it would be roughly equivalent to a penny. He said, truly I tell you, this poor widow who has put in a penny has put in more than all of them. For all of them, look at this, for all of them have contributed out of their abundance. Uh, it, it It wasn't a sacrifice. It was a convenient thing. But she, out of her poverty, has put in all that she had to live on. Back in those days, they didn't have welfare. Back in those days, they didn't have social security. There was no safety nets for people. This widow survived on whatever she could scrap up, making, uh, making uh, weaving something, or, or I don't know how she got her two pennies, but that's what she had to live on, and she put it in the offering. Now, some undoubtedly gave thousands, maybe 10000 would be equivalent to $10,000. She gives a penny. And on a natural level, of course, the 10000 is more than a penny. And there's always been a temptation on the part of religious leaders to value the 10000 more than the penny. That's why the Bible warns us in James not to, not to give, you know, a privileged place and seating or, or to, to treat preferentially those who have got a lot of money. Because there's always a temptation to do that. On a natural level, of course they gave more. But Jesus said the widow gave more. 
He doesn't say it's as though he gave, she gave more. He, he's not saying some kind of poetry. He's just talking about things from a different perspective. She really did give more. Her gift had a greater impact for the kingdom of God than their gift. Why? Because it's not about the amount. It's about what it costs you to make that sacrifice. The kingdom of God, the explosions that push forth the kingdom of God is an explosion of a heart. The means he uses is certainly part of it is money. But what fuels it, what makes an impact is the sacrifice behind it. If the eagerness, if the sacrifice is there, the gift is acceptable. And what it means for us here this morning would be this. It may be that you are here and you are dirt poor and you're looking at a $9 million campaign and you think, what can my penny do to further this thing? You know, I, I can maybe pledge $5. He's talking about 5000 as though that was doable. Maybe it is for most people. But for me, $50 would, would absolutely be a stretch and I'm just living on a shoestring. Uh, you know, and when the offering bucket comes along, maybe you putting in a dollar is, is really hard for you. You know, every dollar counts. I've been in times of my life, I, 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 my wife and I were at a point one time where we actually had to raid the couches to find enough pennies to treat ourselves out on a date to go to McDonald's. I've been there, you know, turned the couch upside down. I had 144 pennies, which was about too short to buy a quarter pounder with cheese. And I argued with the guy to give me the quarter pounder with cheese for two cents less. And I finally got it because I was threatening him. I really wanted... <laughs> Okay, you know what? Here's the thing. What you got to know is that your sacrifice is just as important as anybody else's sacrifice because it's not about the amount, it's about the sacrifice. I thank God for people who are blessed with the ability to make money. That's a gift. It's like any other kind of gift. It's a gift. Some people can do that. Thank God. Use it for the kingdom. But you got to know this. There's no kind of value judgment on this. Uh, you are, wherever you are at financially, in a position to make as big an impact for the kingdom of God by your giving as the richest person in this congregation, or the richest person in St. Paul, maybe even, maybe even more so because the sacrifice behind your penny is perhaps, as it was with this widow, greater than the sacrifice of a an enormous amount that, that somebody else gives, you're important to the kingdom of God. You're important to this church and you're important to this campaign. I don't care if it's only a penny or five pennies or whatever that you can put in there. It's the sacrifice. What God wants is a unity of sacrifice. People are saying, here's what that vision is worth to us. And you give in proportion to what you have, not measured by what you don't have. You know, that's somebody else's thing. But you give sacrificially. You're important. There's another implication here and I, I need to address it. Because it's, it's a pervasive lie of our culture. It's one, of the main, it's one of the ways the enemy uses to keep us out of this, this groove of being in the giving game, uh, of, of uh, being, you know, where we bless and, and get blessed. Here's how he does it. Right now, things are tight, but later on they'll get better. Right, you know, when, if, if, when you get that promotion, well, then you'll be a giver. Oh, when I get that, you know, because we're used to living at this income, but when we make that income, now I'll be a giver. When I get that new job, when we get those bills paid off, when we finally get into our first house, when we get this, when we do that, when this, that, and the other thing, then I'll be a giver. But right now I'm a student. I don't have any kind of money. Right now this, right now that. You see, I want you to see this here. All of that thinking is, is, is saying, in so many words, when it's more convenient to give, I'll give. And I hope you see now that that is irrelevant because it's not about convenience. It's about sacrifice. And you can make as great a splash for the kingdom of God with a sacrificial heart when you are dirt poor as when you're filthy rich, as they say. Uh, it, it's the sacrifice, not the amount. Now is the time to start uh, practicing biblical principles of sacrificing. 
of, of, uh, of uh, giving, not out of uh, abundance, what's convenient, but in terms of, uh, of what you have, even if it's a penny. Yeah, you know, and, and as you do this, we'll talk about this here shortly, as you do this, you begin to, God puts a premium blessing on this whole thing, uh, and, and sacrificing that penny now will be one of the ways, perhaps, that God will make it so you can do five pennies later on, and then maybe it'll be $50, and then who knows, maybe it'll be $5 million, I don't know. But now is the right time to make an impact for the kingdom of God. You can't measure that impact. You can't quantify it. That's, that impact you can't put down on a checkbook. It's a spiritual impact, but you've got to know that it is there. You are important to the kingdom of God. Principle number one, the gift is in the sacrifice, not the amount. Principle number two, the kingdom giving is, is, is to be free from external pressure. If you've been here for any length of time, you know that this is one that really gets under my goad. Paul says that each of you, he's doing fundraising here with Corinth, which shows you that fundraising isn't a carnal thing as opposed to a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual things get. But he says, each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion. And I, I, used to, I used to feel really awkward talking about money in church. I've gotten over that. I still don't talk about it too much, do I? But, uh, uh, you know, when, when the time is right, I will. But I used to be really awkward about it. It was just like pulling teeth. Part of it is that, you know, we Americans, let's say it out loud, we get weird about money. We get weird. As soon as he's talking about finances, everyone kind of like, where's my wallet? He's going for my wallet. You know, it's like, my precious. Everybody wants my precious. Mm. We get weird. We're weird on this thing. We just get knotted up. It's like we're paranoid. And it's part of our culture. And that makes it kind of awkward. But it also gets awkward, and for me it was even more of this, because there's so much garbage that goes on about money in the name of religion. And I want to distance myself from that. Maybe too much so. It's like there's a self-righteous element to this that i got to take care of. But, but I don't want to have anything to do with that. And, and, uh, and, and, and the reason is because there's, there's a lot of it that's done out of compulsion. Professional money getters by using, man, if, if you can get people to, if you can get God stuff around manipulation and guilt, whoa, can you make a buck? Oh man, if I convince you that your salvation depends on this or something like that, ching ching, you know. And, and so there's all this guilt stuff, shame stuff, manipulation stuff. We used to, Dave remembers this. You remember the camp? We used to go to this Pentecostal camp when, when I was first saved, went to this camp every summer. And man, they, they could cha-ching in Jesus' name. Uh, they'd get up there, cha-ching in Jesus' name. They'd get up there and, and uh, they would you know, do something like this. The guy would get a word. Oh, yes. I got a word. And the word would be, there's 10 people in this auditorium right now, tonight, who are going to give $10,000. Who will be first? And then there's this long silence. God's talking to you. Some people here tonight are resisting God. And then you quote a couple of verses about what happens to people who resist God, you know? And it's like, come on, you know? And you see, if you believe that this guy really is kind of the voice of God, whoa, is that pressure on you? And so finally someone, I'll give, I'll give. Reluctantly and under compulsion, but I'll give, you know? Okay, who'll be second? And of course, they write down the name. Who'll be second? Who'll be third? You know, and they would do that until they got all the word 10,000 people. And now you move on to the 5,000, you know, the bronze level, you know, something like that. 25 people are supposed to give 5,000. And ask Dave if you don't believe me, but hopefully you believe me. That would go on for a half hour, 45 minutes. It was so awkward. It was painful. If you brought a visitor, forget it, you know. Uh, it, it's just really... But the manipulation is, it was, was intense. You know, it's, I can't tell you how aggravated righteous indignation I get over that 
poppycock. <laughs> Bottom line is this. There is, in the kingdom of God, everything operates upon the principle of inside out. Uh, God's law is written on our hearts. There is, in the kingdom of God, no room for manipulation, for coercion, for gimmicks, for tactics, for people cornering other people, getting words about how much you're supposed to give. We know your income, and we think you should be able to give this much. Come on, cough it up. There's no room. That, that, that's absolutely out of order here. Kingdom, you can get a lot of money that way. I don't, that's how the, the church has made a lot of money throughout the ages. But it doesn't honor God. There's nothing Christ-like about it. It doesn't honor Jesus Christ. It, it's not in conformity with the principles that, that, that the Bible gives us. Kingdom giving, God-honoring giving is giving that's done out of a cheerful heart, not under compulsion, not reluctantly, not, oh, I feel so guilty, I gotta get it. No, that, you know, that's, not, that's not, 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 not where it's at at all. No one has the right to tell you how much you should give because of what they think. The job of leadership is not to get people to give money. The job of leadership is to cultivate sacrificial hearts. God leads you about how how to live that out, where you should live that out. The job of leadership is to paint a vision. Here's where God's leading us as a whole, to paint a vision and say, is God leading you to have buy-in on this vision, to show the impact that that, that you can make, and to empower you to be ministers. It says in Ephesians chapter 4, that the role of pastors is to empower the saints for the ministry of the church. Saints do the ministry of the church. You are all ministers. The job of pastors and the job of a preacher is to empower you to be ministers. Now, your time and your talent and your resources and your money are all tools for ministry. So talk to God about how you should use that. Here's a vision. God may use it to get you on board with this, to have buy on this, to make an eternal difference in the world. But that's a decision you can make. I paint out the vision. You, you, you empower people to do ministry, and you leave it alone. And now people talk to God. Everyone should make up their own mind, Paul says, about what they should give. And you may be that you're here this morning, and you have got all, you've got enough money to buy the youth center on your own and, and hardly even feel the pinch but you feel like God's leading you to sacrifice in a different area. And you know what? I gotta be okay with that. <laughs> I may ask you, are you sure? <laughs> but you know what? I'm not God. All right, and your job is to listen to God. You know, we'll put out the vision, we'll motivate, but in the end, you talk to God. That's why the only thing we've ever said about this and the only thing we'll ever say about this is talk to God. Pray, pray, and God will lead you and, uh, and uh, will, will use you as he sees fit. So kingdom giving is to be free from external pressure. Any kind of, if, if you get in an environment where someone starts cornering you and you're not giving, and it's feeling like a reluctant pull, let a flag go up. Principle number three, kingdom giving is to be hilariously joyful. Hilariously joyful. Why? Because God loves a cheerful giver. This is why the Bible says that it's not to be done under compulsion or coercion or manipulation or shame uh, or reluctantly. Wherever you have manipulation, shame, or any form of coercion, the giving will be reluctant. It works, but it'll be a reluctant thing. It's like, okay, I, I will. But see, God doesn't want that because what God's aiming at, this is central not just to our finances, but to all of our life. He's trying to cultivate a kingdom of people who are cheerful givers of our time, of our talents, of our resources, who live giving away their life and uh, in, in, in investing in others. God loves a cheerful giver. 
One of the saddest things about people who are raised in environments, or at least spend a lot of time in environments, where they always use manipulation, guilt tactics to get you to give, is that you never learn the joy of giving for free. You're just conditioned, like Pavlov's dog. The only time you respond is when someone's guilting you out. There are people that I've known who've come to Wilderness Church, and we don't use that kind of stuff, you know? And so all, all of a sudden, they lose their motivation to give. And I'm okay with that. Because they got to lose that old motivation if they're ever going to get the new motivation. Now, as they grow in the Lord, they, they, they find out the new motivation. It's an entirely different thing. But, but there are people who, unless they're being guilted out or pressured or whatever, they just don't give because you train people to respond to that. God wants a cheerful giver. The word cheerful in Greek, uh, it, we get the word hilarious from it. Hilaron. We get the word hilarious from it. It's not just happy. It's exuberant. It's hilarious. It's hilarious. Uh, this kind of outrageous bursting forth of joy. God is trying to raise up a people who've got this outraising, uh, outrageous burst of joy welling up in, uh, up in their bosom, and that's why they give. The hilarity attaches to the attitude of what you give, but also the content to what you give, because hilarious people tend to give hilariously. You look at the early church, and they were giving a lot of hilarious, uh, hilarious things. Things that by the world's standards, amounts that by the world's standards, sacrifices that by the world's standards are ridiculous. They're hilarious, but that's what happened. happens when people learn the joy of hilarious giving. The secret of living in joy is to find the joy of giving. It really is. It's nice to receive, but it's joyful to be the giver. That's where the joy is to be found. That's why it's, the Bible says, Paul says in Acts 20, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And when you learn that principle, you, you find what you were created for. This is, this, is the mo- this is the most true you there is, the you that finds joy in blessing others and having a vision bigger than yourself because that's what love is most fundamentally about, be, to be drawn outside of yourself to invest in others, to invest in something bigger than yourself that God is a part of. We're called to be godly, Right? to be godly. Well, how does God give? The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12 that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the suffering of the cross. Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the suffering of the cross. Why did he give so much? Well, the Bible says it was because of joy. Sometimes we get a picture of God You've seen pictures of God. God the Father especially is always, you know, the bearded type that's, he's, he's an ogre. He's kind of upset. He's always mad. He's never really in a good mood. You, you know that God? Uh, you know, the good day is when he doesn't throw the thunderbolt. Uh, and, and um, you know, there's just kind of like these human beings, they're always mad. He's always angry, you know, and, and I can see how you can piece some of that together from Old Testament, but we're to be looking at, at God as defined in Jesus Christ. And so there's this view of God. It's kind of like, oh, we got to do this again for these rebellious humans. And then Jesus comes down to earth and you just got to see him like, oh, do I got to do this? Ah! Father's going, it's the only way to save these people. And it's like, okay. And so Jesus comes down here and there's, you know, no one pulled, God didn't give out of compulsion. It wasn't any, no, there wasn't any, you know, gimmick person throwing him a curveball to get him, trick him into to doing this. The Bible says it was joy. You need to get a visual image of God the Father smiling radiantly, perhaps even laughing, as he's sending Jesus, and Jesus smiling, perhaps even laughing, hilariously, as he's coming down to earth. It was for the joy that was set before him. It involved incredible pain, the ultimate sacrifice. It was a nightmare. He wasn't smiling when he was going through the nightmare. Sometimes it hurts 
It's like sometimes it hurts when you write out a check. It's like, oh, this is going to hurt. And, and, and you've got to grit your teeth. But it's for the joy that is before, it was be, for the joy that was before Christ that he did this. And the joy was the prospect of living eternally with you. And the joy was the prospect of living eternally with me. It was for the joy set before him. As he looked ahead and saw uh, what he could do with these sinners who are living in rebellion. I can bring them in. I can save them. I can wash them. They can dance with us. They can share in the, the ecstasy, the abundance spirit-filled life of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit throughout eternity. Look at what we can do with this sacrifice. And it was that joy, the hilarity, the, the, the exuberance of that that led him to die on the cross. We are God-like when we give like that. Not this begrudging, you know, kind of thing. Sometimes it hurts, but it's for the joy that is before us. To, to live the godly life. Some Christians, it just seems like they, they think it's holy to be, you know, downcast and the problems of the world are so heavy and I have to sacrifice so much for Jesus and other people aren't sacrificing like I sacrifice for Jesus. There's nothing fair about it. Oh, it's me. I'd be having so much problems in the world but I love Jesus. <laughs> Even though, knock it off. You know, it's a dance. It, it, it's, it's a joy. You're not God. You don't carry the world. Surrender to him and start living in some of the joy. You know, godliness is part of, it's part of hilarity. Cheerfulness is next to godliness. There, that, that, that's in my void version of the Bible. So the joy, what is the joy set before us? Well, specifically with regard to this, the, the thing that God's leading us to right now, here's the joy. I'll just tell you what, what gives me joy. I think about, I get a picture, I get an image of that young girl who's not going to be living her life regretting what she did when she was 16. I get a picture of that kid who is now living who otherwise wouldn't be living. And it gives me great joy to know that I can do something to make that happen. Uh, it, it's worth that. My sacrifice can make a difference. And then I, I multiply that a thousand times or 10,000 times. Who knows how many times? Uh, you know, in the next 30, 40, 50 years till the Lord comes back, however. And it gives me joy to know I get to be a part of that. And I think about the kid who was going down the, the one track and now is going down a different track and he's over in Cambodia helping win Tramberg in the hospital that we built. And I get to have a part of that. My sacrifice gets to, I, I get to have a role in that. He's going to save a hundred lives, a thousand lives, who knows how many lives and witness to others. And I get, we get to have a role in that. That's a privilege. That's an opportunity and it gives me joy to think about. And there's some Vietnamese mother who was going to die because she couldn't get medical treatment that now will get medical treatment so her kids aren't going to be orphaned. And your sacrifice and my sacrifice made that happen. Multiply that 10,000 times and ask, is it worth it? It gives you joy to think of the impact that that can make. Think about uh, the, the, the kids who are going to be uh, ministered to or lost now and confused now and, and, and having sexual problems now and problems at home now. And we get to impact them. We get to impact them. It's a joy to impact them. We get to make a difference in their life. I got a dollar in my pocket. If I keep it, it's meaningless. If I give it away, it takes on eternal value. That gives me joy. That gives me joy. That, that, that's how the whole principle runs. For the joy that was set before him. And it's that way with the whole ministry of the church. Through our combined sacrificial giving, we get to participate in seeing people get counseling who need counseling and get their ideas lined up with, with, with truth and see marriages saved and see uh, you know, uh, people coming to Jesus Christ and who knows how many kids accepted the Lord this morning. We all have a role to play in that. And it just, it's, it's joyful to look at something and know that your sacrifice had something to do with that coming into being. 
for the joy that is before them, they endured the suffering of the cross. I encourage you to get a vision of this and hold on to it tightly. See it vividly. Run out the future uh, impact it will have. We're dropping a boulder in the pond that will have ripple effects throughout eternity. It comes back on us throughout eternity, which leads to my fourth principle, and I'll do this in two minutes. Kingdom giving is blessed by God. We've talked about this, and it's just true. And God is able, he says, right after saying God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance. Now, you know, pause. Part of that's because he, he, he likes to bless you. You know, he, he's, he's like everything I've been talking about. He likes to bless you. And part of that's for you to enjoy. I'm probably going to preach on this in a couple of weeks. First Timothy 6. He gives us these things to enjoy. Don't feel guilty about enjoying things God's blessed you with. Just know that the most fundamental purpose of it is, he goes on to say, so that by always having enough of everything, blessed are you, you may share abundantly in every good work. I get to share in every good work. Why? Because I'm getting blessed. How'd you get there? Well, part of the reason is because when I couldn't share in every good work, I shared in the good work that I could. And now he's blessed me to the point where I can share in every good work. There's a self-replicating feature here to God. Because the goal is to have people who can bless others outrageously and hilariously, God puts a primo blessing on it. And the promise is this. As, as you get given, it will be given unto you. Good measure, shaken down, pressed together, overflowing. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a principle of abundance. There's no limit to God's resources. And he leverages the whole thing on this. Give and it will be given unto you. Now that, just, that's, that applies financially, but not only financially, in every other possible way. This isn't a magical formula that we can use to manipulate God to get rich. If that's what you're trying to do, it's not going to work. No, it, it, it's, it, the motive is everything. But as you just give because it's in your heart to give and you find joy in that and you give hilariously, well, you know what? It comes back on you. Uh, it, it's, the other, I, I just had this thought. The other day, I, I came upon some money I didn't know I was going to have. There's a person right next to me who I knew didn't have enough money. And I just said, here, you have that. And I didn't think about it. It didn't premeditate it. But see, I have the absolute assurance that that's going to be filled up real quick. (laughs) It's like, you know, you can give it away. It takes on eternal value the minute you give it away, and it comes back to you. In fact, it comes back to you more than what you gave away. Now, you can't, don't put it in a mathematical formula. It's a principle. But this is how when the widow puts in her two pennies, maybe the next day she finds four come back to her. She puts in two out of those four and four more come back to her. And boom, there's this cycle here. It's a cycle of life. Not a get-rich-quick scheme. It's just about life. It's out of abundance. It's not a zero-sum game. It's not a shame game. It's a party. What Paul is doing to the Corinthians, last word here, is he's inviting them in on a party. Come join the party. This is fun. This is fun. This is joy. This is life. This is exuberance. Get in on the game. And what the Holy Spirit's doing to us through Paul is he's saying the same thing. Come join the party. Come join the party. Lose your life, you find it. Try to find your life, my precious. You lose it. You see? The, the joy is found in the giving. Can we close our eyes here? And I just want to close in prayer. Uh, as I'm closing in prayer, I want to offer this invitation. If you're here this morning and you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, could I encourage you as we close here after we're done to come forward here and over to my right, your left, is a man who would be glad to answer any questions that you have. He's very, very smart. And uh, any questions you have, will be glad to address. But also lead you in whatever prayer you want to pray for to find out how to become a disciple of Jesus. 
And would the prayer team come forward as I'm praying? And if you have any need that you would like to have prayed for, I encourage you to come forward and spend some time praying about that. And Father, I pray now, Holy Spirit, seal this message on our hearts. Great are the strongholds in our culture that resist this. Strongholds that maybe even make us suspicious about it and keep us in bondage. Holy Spirit, break the strongholds. Holy Spirit, set us free. Holy Spirit, make us dance. And how we live and how we steward the resources that you've blessed us with As we go out of here, we do it, Lord, with a commitment to be your kingdom people to all people at all times, demonstrating outrageous love in word, thought, and deed. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. The altar is open. We love you. Go forth. Be radical.